0: Oi, oi, streamers. Welcome back to the Crossing Streams podcast. Episode two here with my boy, Matty G. We got a lot to cover this week, and this is a special double Crossing Streams week. We're going to be releasing on Mondays pretty much always, but because we're so heavy with the CW coming back midseason, and that's most of what we're going to be talking about, I'm going to at least make this available um, on a Thursday, and then I'll repost on Monday. Matt, we're coming back to CW after not that long, of a break but it does seem like uh, kind of a big break because we had the huge invasion uh you know crossover and then most of the episodes had you know major plot steps forward and then we had to break
1: absolutely uh hi everybody welcome back um and yeah i uh it's an odd pun that we call our show crossing streams and we are talking about uh the cw where the shows have more crossover with each other than anything else In this, I mean, these characters cross over into each other's properties as often and as coherently as the Marvel Cinematic Universe does. Um, You know, they just are going back and forth constantly. We, in Arrow this week, they just casually mentioned Cisco, one of the main characters from Flash. So we are crossing streams talking about shows that cross into each other's continuity all the time yeah and, and one of the first things you know you talked
0: about uh, when we first started doing podcasts together, and i wasn 't on to c w yet or maybe I was just starting to watch Arrow or flash, uh, but wasn 't really accustomed to it never was in love with Shield. you know my favorite uh, superhero TV show of all time uh, is the Batman the Animated series. Um, you know, I loved X-Men growing up, but B- Batman is c- is clearly the best. And actually, uh, this week, I'm going to introduce a new tiny segment towards the end, just a special mention from the Bizzle, because I do watch a bunch of shows uh that Matt and other people don't necessarily watch. And so I'm going to have a, just a little bit on that at the end. This week, you'd think it would be Vikings, but I'm going to wait on Vikings because there's still one episode left in, in this epic season, but it is an animated show um, and uh, one that I didn't expect to like um but matt you know i think you know you talked about from early on how you thought budget or no budget tv w- w- was probably going to end up being the superior or at least you know a more sustainable format uh for uh superhero properties and i
1: think the cw uh, over the last year or two has clearly borne that out exactly um you know i i think why I like T V so much, uh and I didn't quite get to to explain all of this in our last podcast, is that the more hours of content when done right gives you an opportunity to really explore deeper and wider territory than you could get in a two and a half hour movie. And I think even when the writing is not great with a broadcast you know mainstream shows like what you have on the cw because of so many episodes because every epi- show has 20 episodes 25 episodes a year they really do go a lot of different places and it, it really makes for different kinds of stuff every week and and different and deeper experiences um you know when tv really hits i think the character development is much much grander than what a lot of movies can accomplish Um,
0: Absolutely, and you know I want to dive into the top three, man, because we've got tons to talk about. Uh, Of course, you know, Bizzlecast listeners, if you're listening, you probably know this, but just to recap, you know, we had the you know all four CW shows now front loaded on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, as opposed to Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. They've pushed. uh, Legends from Thursday to Tuesday after Flash. Was That's that correct. the big move? Yeah, so you've got four and three days, and by the time you, you know, get past hump day and you go to work on Thursday, you've had your whole CW week. Um, I hope it's water cooler talk. The ratings seem to bear out that, you know, it, it is in some places, at least, in some populations. Um, the numbers are excellent uh, considering uh, the, the limitations, and so we're really going to f- focus mostly on, I think, Supergirl, Flash, and Arrow. Um, you know no slight to legends I- i'm just not that interested and i think it's clearly the fourth in terms of ratings and reviews uh it's fair yeah, to and
1: say quality and, yeah i mean i i've said before legends is the one that probably will get the axe first and it's the one where it makes the most sense to axe it because it's not you can lose all of those characters and nobody is really going to be pining for them on other shows uh, other than you know Week to week moments. Uh, You know, every so often you could bring White Canary or Firestorm back. Otherwise, no one's really going to care. Yeah. And, you know, I think
0: uh, I I just want to mention that these prop, you know, this show and this movie have not been released yet. You and I are both on sort of wait and see attitude of whether we're going to watch either. But I think it is interesting that. And then you know, coming month or two, we are adding a new d c show, which they are by the way openly calling the first d c comedy like they not only are they making a show, uh, and that show is called powerless on NBC, which is taking over a new network for 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 d c so now they have NBC, Fox, and I, I consider CW as sort of an extension of CBS, especially because Supergirl was on CBS and there's co-ownership and, and you've, you've got Marvel with Agents of Sheldon and ABC, that's all they've got. Powerless is a show, you know, a, a satirical show about, you know, what happens to all the poor civilians who get killed that you and I are constantly criticizing the DC movies for, you know, all the killing that Batman and Superman do in the movies that, that doesn't normally happen. Now they're making it into a satirical show that, they're, that the, the tagline is literally the first comedy from from dc so they're Mm -hmm. acknowledging in both the tagline and the show itself that they need more humor and then out of nowhere for me at least i mean i I hadn't heard of it until I started seeing signs a couple months ago. It was the Batman Lego movie, which is never right. a, a, a type of movie that I would see, but it looks really funny and snappy. And I'm I'm pretty certain, unless there's a little cousin involved, that I won't see it in the theater. Um, but you know, just the fact that they've got you know Will Arnett, Ray Fine, Zach Galifianakis, Rosario Dawson, Michael Sarah, Billy D. Williams. I mean, just an amazing, amazing voice cast in a movie that's clearly poking fun at. Both the Dark
1: Knight movies and the Zack Snyder movies. Thoughts? Uh, no, I agree. I mean, now, DC already did have an existing relationship with NBC. Constantine aired on NBC for the one season before it was canceled. Um, but yeah, it does seem odd that in a lot of ways, DC's television presence is expanding. And Marvel's is shrinking. Mm. Um, You know, at one point we were going to have Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Agent Carter, and Marvel's Most Wanted about um, Nick Blood and Adrian Peliki's characters from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. In theory, they were all going to be on the air at the same time, but then Agents of Agent Carter got canceled and they decided to cancel Marvel's Most Wanted. There is another show called Marvel's Damage Control, which is basically the exact same premise as Powerless, that might still come out at some point on ABC. It doesn't seem like it's been shut down entirely. It's not happening. You're sure about that? I'm looking at stuff... Okay, no, go ahead. I mean, I'm looking at stuff uh, from fairly recently, like beginning of this month, that said it's... Well, maybe, I don't know. Maybe it's just been dead. Uh, I could be wrong about that. Um, I just figured it would... I mean...
0: If you're not doing the uh, uh, the most wanted, I, I, damage control would seem like a lesser priority. At least you had two charismatic actors with good chemistry that were established and fan favorites of that one. I mean, damage control, I, it, let's put it this way the notion of powerless as a title and the concept is a lot more interesting than what Marvel thought they were doing I think by making it a joke you know as opposed right. to like semi serious and semi joking tone of shield um uh, which sure. I think is very off-putting you know I think that that you know that's I mean, we talk about you know, movies and, and shows that have two tones or th- or multiple tones that, that that don't work together shield suffering from that and I think Gotham. ABC yeah gotham and i think uh, well yeah well, we'll get back to gotham by the way people uh as we've sort of teased in episode zero it's possible gotham might get its own moment uh each week because there's just such crazy weirdness matt uh, to tease to the bizzlecast audience are we gonna have a gotham moment this week
1: we are going to have yes! a gotham moment but it's a good moment I, 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 like i said last week the when pickings. they have weird character side like side characters yeah it's fun to watch and they've got a really fun one taking a lot of the screen time in this past episode so All right.
0: so dc's kicking ass basically i mean even their yeah. bad shows are doing well right now um yeah. and uh and just to double tease uh the sh- my uh business uh, honorable mention i'm going to talk about a uh, tv show that does synergize with movies um in in a way that um that that marvel does not seem to be able to do, um, and so uh, Matt. Before uh, we jump in, mm-hmm. um, what were your general impressions leading up to the you know quote unquote mid season reboot? Um, you know, uh, this week, were you excited for it beyond just for the shows to come back Were there plot lines that you were looking forward to and feel free to segue from this into the, into the top three, um, you know, highlights or memorable moments of the week. Like what were your sort of expectations going into this Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, back to back to
1: back, um, grand slam of, of DC shows on CW. Sure. Um, and it was a long time for some of these shows arrows last episode before wednesday nights, uh the mid-season premiere was the last wednesday in november so it was almost two months between episodes um yeah it was you know that thanksgiving post thanksgiving week and then that was it um so you know it was a good long time um i was excited to see where the plots went you know i was of the th- the four shows, the plot that I find the most interesting because, in general, I think it's been the strongest CW show this year, has been Supergirl. Um, and one of the things I really liked is, even in a way um, that uh, season one wasn't, Supergirl season two has been very cosmic um and i've really dug that i, I loved, loved, loved i loved it i was so pumped this business this was the first super
0: episode i watched beginning to end i watched it the night of I, i'm I, you know if you've listened you know i'm a huge melissa benoist fan and i will end up watching shows specifically for actors and actresses this is the case here in addition to matt's recommendation i love that they did the stargate thing and they even made a joke about it. it was great
1: they made a Stargate joke when you have Wynn going on the planet and not dying, and he yells, "I'm not a red shirt." I mean, uh, you know, there are a bunch of different star, You know, it's CW, and all those characters make a lot of references to pre-existing science fiction properties. Like yep. Cisco makes Star Wars jokes like all the fucking time, yep. um, and we have so we ha- we do in fact have Star Trek
0: connections in the three major CW uh well you made the literal one which i totally forgot about the red shirts comment i i you know i was texting matt uh i was like this you know i was gonna entitle it you know supergirl uh, or i'm sorry stargate supergirl and then they made the joke and so i called it you know supergirl ds9 because it did kind of feel like a you know an alien planet ds9 episode but then you had the red shirt comment and we'll uh we get to the other two shows we'll mention the star trek connections there go ahead buddy
1: Yeah, um, and that was, as far as I can think, uh, like, remember, the first time an episode actually takes Supergirl to another planet. There's a season one episode, I think, where she goes into sort of a comatose state and imagines she's back on Krypton. But I'm pretty sure this is the first episode that's ever actually taken her off world. And as much as Superman is very much the immigrant story about coming to Earth or coming to America— their allegories for each other, basically. Um, you know, in some versions of the Superman comics, he was a much more cosmically-oriented hero. His 1970s ver- version, the way he was written then, very much a cosmic character who would actually say Great Rao as his, like, curse thing, like Sweet Christmas w- with Luke Cage, Rao being the sun uh, or that Krypton orbited. So having Supergirl actually venturing out into the universe and having her meeting aliens i mean we had the dominator show up in that episode mm-hmm. and uh clearly you know her friend Monel is daxamite which is a, a brother planet basically to krypton um and maybe he's in league with the dominators a little bit there's there's an odd moment of rapport between them so if we're you know Keep flooding us with aliens. That's cool with me. I you know, oh, yeah. I am a sci-fi geek. I will g- geek out about having DC Comics aliens show up. I may reference Thanagar, have some rainians show up, whatever. Um, I am down. Yeah, and by the way, if you're
0: going to have... You know, two and a half dimensional uh, CGI aliens, the way to do it is to put, you know, go to their planet rather than bring them to Earth and try and make it work in like a cityscape. I, I thought it worked better in some ways. Yeah, exactly. All right. So, you know, my stated reasons for staying away from Supergirl was just A, I just don't watch that much TV. You know, it's hard to right. get over the bar. Um, I, I don't know. What, what, what were the odds when you originally made your pitch? for me to watch Arrow, what did you put the odds at that I would actually stick with it to this point? 40%. Okay. Oh, well, you had more optimism in me than I have in myself. I like that from my friends. You need that from your friends, you know? (laughs) They gotta believe in you. But, uh, but, you know, but but Flash, you know, I've been sort of going in and out with Flash, but I just, you know, it seemed like it was so clearly a family show, um, quote-unquote, and I'm starting to actually... Shed my my notion of family shows the same way with family movies because, it, it, you know how I talk about everything in in Hollywood is now it, it's it's you know it's PG or just right just G, TV actually has a huge spectrum detailed. Uh, nuanced spectrum of different kinds of shows. So I got over that. And then I just like Benoist from, you know, clips here or there or the crossovers mostly, where she's fantastic and steals the show. You know, her and Gustin always run the crossovers with a little assist from Amel, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, usually because it's structured around them, they're the two most powerful. You know, that makes sense. Um, and I cannot wait for the musical, which she did also confirm um, on Myers. She, she said there's four crossovers this year. Was she referring to four as in that episode she said they had four crossovers they filmed this year
1: um i don't know it could also be that this was going to be the only four part crossover uh you know was the dominator one, the invasion but then one of them might go to one of the other i think the the musical episode is maybe a two-parter so it might be flash goes on supergirl then supergirl goes on flash or something like that um but she you know she talked about how They all really, like each other, get along, but, you know,
0: between takes, you're often waiting 10, 20, 30 minutes, and they're standing around in these goofy costumes that, trust me, in person, look way goofier than on the television. I Um, have no doubt. Yeah, and how they just sort of all give each other kind of knowing looks, you know, throughout it, how ridiculous and how great it is at the same time. She, by the way it is maybe even like Kristen Ritter is even way more energetic than in the show uh, in some ways. I mean, Mm -hmm. just in comparison to real life. I mean, she's so full of life, a bit of a kid actor, but not like to the point where it would traumatize her. Uh, She said there's been some other, um, people from uh from glee Uh, oh they definitely the villain of of the of the musical crossovers from glee i believe she said which would be funny um but anyways point being you know i was complaining about the piano music with flash and arrow and you're like well if you don't like piano music they might not like supergirl but honestly what i've realized is in some ways it's more earned and natural in supergirl there wasn't even that much my my main criticism of that one episode you know again being the one i've watched closely Throughout was, you know, when, when her sister, her adoptive sister, started going on this giant, you know, self-inflicted guilt trip you know, and and about how, you know, she deserves happiness and things keep getting in the way of happiness. I was like, oh, no. no." This is like a Laurel speech, you know? (laughs) Like, I can't take it. But you know what? They they got through it. You know, she got back together with her girlfriend who's also a great actress, three great lead female actresses as far as I can tell. And Mm -hmm. uh, honestly, man, my main complaint was that it moves too fast. I wanted it to slow down. I wanted to get more, like... You know, subtle, nuanced, slow paced drama and not just quippiness. And I think th- that's great. And, that, and I think if they can move towards that as they mature the show a little bit and mix it with the fast paced quippiness, th- that's a right. deadly combination. I mean, that in the best way possible.
1: I would also say that, you know, I think it will have felt like a slower build if you were to watch the last, you know, the the Alex coming out of the closet episode, I think was now four episodes ago or maybe three episodes ago. Um, and so if you watch that whole journey of her and she meets Maggie Sawyer at the beginning of season two, so really their relationship has been developing in one fashion or another for about nine or 10 episodes now. So when you take all of them together, it feels like a slower, deeper build. You're coming at it in the middle. And so it'll feel even faster. Uh, It's like trying to learn a foreign language. It's always going to sound faster than the people are probably actually speaking it because you don't you can't pick up the spaces between the words yet. But th- but that's the thing. I mean, I don't, I don't dislike
0: slowness. I love slowness when it's done well. The Wire is my favorite show ever. That show right. is really slow. I was hoping Luke Cage, you know, would be a slowness that I liked. But for me, it's it all about not doing it just to do it, but do it because you want your actors to breathe and you want your material to breathe. And these actors seem totally capable of it. I mean, do, do you ever get the feeling when watching the CW shows that they're not really looking at each other when they're delivering those lines? I mean, they're trying really hard to make it seem like it, but the amount of coverage that they need for having a 1,000 scenes per episode and 23 episodes a season, so we're basically talking about uh, the ones that make uh, the television about 300 scenes plus per year, per show. That's a lot. And you have scenes where, yeah. you, where you're in bed together... This is important, man. You have scenes when you're in bed together and there's one line. You know how long that takes to set up? That can be hours and hours of setup to get one or two lines between... You know when, uh, just you know when uh, when Oliver is you know sleeping with Laurel or something, and they they exchange two words, and you know, and then go on to the next scene. Point being, you don't get those movie moments. You know, like with the Avengers, it pulls back, and you just see the conversation between the superheroes. They're clearly talking to each other. How often do you see two of our main characters in any of these shows spend an extended time? By extended, I mean twenty seconds talking back and forth to one other character on camera. They just don't do it, and this isn't a knock on cw almost all television shows are like this they have to that's why game of thrones is 10 or 12 episodes it's just too much coverage to do so i give these actors tons of credit i just wish they would do fewer scenes and slow it down honestly my my main would be my main thing i really enjoyed supergirl you're totally right her relationship with her sister is is spot on um i don't feel like the lesbian thing is super forced it's definitely way less forced than curtis but i'll get back to that when we get to arrow I love the alien stuff, man. I took that note before you said anything, you know, I I was totally digging the DS nine stargate feel of it. You know, I love good alien stuff and you add the superhero. It's fantastic. She is magnetic. I mean, she's, and what's amazing is both, both her, herself and her alter ego are magnetic and charismatic, but she's able to play it in two completely different ways. Um, and so you can like her, you know, even if you only like one of the two, but my guess is most people like both, both versions of, uh, Kara,
1: um, Danvers. I I would say so. I mean, you know, one of the differences between a Superman or Supergirl, you know, I, at some point, this episode or later in no, this do it now do it
0: now do it now give us give us a little overview because i'm trying to fill out the call l kara l this other l guy who's working at the bar like who are all these l's oh. which by the way <laughs> means god and hebrew people go ahead. it
1: does um and it's also i've always thought that the house of l is tied into the idea that everybody's name starts with the letter l his is his mother lois lane lana lang lori lamaris which is a mermaid that superman dated in the 50s i'm not making that up so there's something just about l that <laughs> Siegel. And must Schuster have been jealous really like yeah. yeah i guess i uh, <laughs> uh he was off banging other mermaids. Uh, mira it's just you know uh, anatomy wise impossible it seems I, I, I've not really spent <laughs> a lot of time thinking about well, how when, when, that all works. But there's a pretty funny feature oh, on that episode. We've
0: all seen so. the Little Mermaid, and you're
1: watching, and you're going, okay, she's going to hook up with a dude. How exactly is this going to work? that movie gave me nightmares i did i swear i'm telling the truth that movie scared oh, yeah. the shit out of me as a kid so i was never thinking <laughs> about how were they going to get it on i was more just terrified of the giant witch chick that turns people into seaweed
0: but no but uh-huh. seriously but i mean she's so human i mean she's so able to be a, a human um yes. uh, cara danvers that is Cara right. danvers um i think she can mate with people um I, she certainly can yes. emote with them, which is more important in the grand scheme of things. Right. And, you know, and has a love for them that's way less selfish than either Oliver Queen or uh, Barry Allen. I mean, that's the thing. That's her she she you're right, man. She's what I always thought Superman was growing up and haven't seen yeah. in my and lifetime. That, because I didn't grow up with a Donner movie. So this is this is right. the best Superman
1: I've ever seen. And that is what I think is it, maybe inherently the most feminist thing to say about this show oh, man, is it, it basically argues that everything Superman is could just as easily be Supergirl that a woman could do this exact, could be this exact same figure Or the other
0: way around. Screw it. She's doing it. We're right. not doing it with Superman
1: right now. I don't care. Well, Male, Snyder female. doesn't want to. Snyder doesn't yeah. get any of that about Superman. This show, you know, Andrew Kreisberg and Greg Berlanti and Jeff Johns, they do get what Superman is, and they want to say, look, Supergirl can just as easily do this same thing, even though in the comics she doesn't. None of the symbolism of Superman has ever really extended to Supergirl in the comics, and that's what's interesting about this character, this Supergirl, is the ways that she's basically a gender-flipped Superman. And,
0: and just as significantly for this generation of kids especially girls, when they see a good portrayal, finally of Superman 10 years down the road, they're going to compare it to her as opposed to the other way around, which is brilliant. Right.
1: Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Um, it, that's a pretty cool bit of forward thinking but I, I would agree with you. Yep. If we can yes. only get um,
0: Kamala Khan uh, version of, uh, of Captain Marvel. I wonder if we'll get Oh, man.
1: Okay. So I think we will. And the reason is there's a a movie critic who I've talked about a few times named Movie Bob who put out a video recently called The Real Hidden Agenda of Marvel, which is that Marvel is recognizing that diversity is increasingly important to sales. And they don't really care how any of their comic books sell because no comic book is really profitable. But they use their comics to essentially figure out these properties two or three years ahead of when they want to put them in in movies marvel's actually making money on comics by the way just so you they know. make a little but it's they're not making a, they're with- making a lot more
0: than dc and the uh, 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 right, at the moment just because of volume and business plan you know digital distribution not because of quality just because of the, the giant machine having disney behind it because they get to put out the star wars comics i mean they get to put out yeah. everything
1: but they don't care the no, the most the best selling comic they've ever had is never going to come close to sniffing the shadow of the one and a half billion. But that's the how Avengers you build a business, day.
0: man. That's the thing. Bad business well, people. No, hold on. This is important, but a bad business person would succeed in comic books, start making money in movies and then ditch the comic books and go whole hog into movies. And then when the movies dried up, they'd be screwed. You know, Marvel's playing the long game here. They know they're going to have a movie problem in a couple of years and they're still going to be selling comics.
1: Yeah. Except what they're doing is the reason they keep coming up with ethnically diverse, variations on pre-existing characters is so that when they run out of the white version of that hero they've got the next one ready to go they've got they're testing basically a korean hulk right now in the comics so that in five or eight years they can make the korean hulk movie they made the inhumans a big deal again in the mid to late 2000s basically because they knew they were going to start pushing them as a movie or television thing you know they're reary williams the new iron man is being in the comics now so that when robert downey jr leaves within probably three to four years they've got the next one ready to go and she's already a well-known name they don't care about how the comics sell they care about using the comics to test new ideas for movies and tv i i that's his argument and i really agree uh, believe it um yeah but
0: the, you know but if you look at the whole comics now it kind of looks like mark ruffalo i mean it, it's a, it's a back and forth feedback you know nick fury is samuel L. jackson he wasn't samuel yeah. L. jackson growing up for me but he is now you know and, and he is in the comics i mean as he should be um my bigger point is though man is that yeah i mean cw just keeps getting bonuses even when it has dips because at least one or two of the shows all seem to be uh, you know, both seem to be hitting. Let's say at various points, like you know what I mean. I, I can't speak for Legends, but you know, if Aaron Flash has been up and down, then well, Supergirl's rise is kind of coming at the right time. Just in terms of the momentum of the I, show, right? I'm talking about how, um, much, how, mean,
1: how much it's the most improved show from last year. That's, that's yeah, that's I would big. agree. Now, what I would say though, just to, to finish my last point, is Nick Fury was he became a black guy in the Ultimate Universe before Samuel L. Jackson was cast as Nick Fury. And in fact, they patterned the character off Samuel L. Jackson. So was that good luck? Or did Marvel maybe already have a hunch that they were going to introduce a black Nick Fury in the movies? Well, I I kind of think they maybe saw that coming a little bit, or they knew that was maybe what they were going to do. Um, so, But yeah, getting back to TV, getting back to... Uh, Supergirl it, it is the most improved show from season one it maybe is the best of the four CW shows I've liked Arrow but I have found Arrow frustrating at times in a way that Supergirl has really not been frustrating for me almost at all this season it's really been a joy to watch um, and maybe feels like something that kind of we need more of in this America right now
0: I mean, they're they are they're clearly writing for Melissa Benoist, you know. Yes. I, I'm not sure that's happening in the other series to the same extent. I mean, the way they wrote, you know, Jessica Jones for Kristen Ritter. I mean, it's, right. it's their voice. You can tell that the writers get it, you know. And mm-hmm. that's the thing you can get with one, su- you know, super talented lead actor in these things, you know. I mean, arguably, if Marvel's uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. had kept um, – Carlson as as the main center and had you know most of its dramatic stories circle around him. I think it would have worked way better. And I like a lot of the support characters, but for them to try and make it a dramatic team. And my complaint about Supergirl, if I have any, is I almost wish she doesn't have a team other than her sister. I, I, I she's so powerful. You know these guys doing their little stunts. You know, I, I, it's not really clear to me. Again, having not seen the series, um, do you feel that y- you like the the Supergirl team, or, or you'd rather
1: just see her, you know, fly solo in your in your you know, favorite episodes? I love Tyler Lee. I love uh, David Harewood as John Jones. I have not been as crazy as about uh, Mikad Brooks as Jimmy Olsen or Jeremy Jordan as Win. Um, I think. Wynn's character makes more sense as a SHIELD IT guy than as the cat, ca- you know, he was like the IT person for the newspaper that Kara works at in season one, which didn't make any sense for the level of hacking ability that he has. Yeah. But his character is kind of just another Felicity or yep. vibe, you know, another Cisco Ramon. I have not really liked the whole Jimmy Olsen becomes the guardian deal. I I haven't quite figured out what the point of that is yet. I don't see them doing it forever, and so I don't quite understand where they're going with this development for this character. I I think jimmy olsen maybe never should have been on supergirl in the first place I, I i just don't think he quite fits with the rest of the cast this is the problem with these
0: shows man is there's no third estate i mean it's like they're just there as window dressing you know i mean what's great about the dc comics is like you have a detective and a you know a assistant newspaper reporter that are two of the most iconic characters in the history of comic books Right, They're not superheroes, quote-unquote, you know? But, like, Jim Gordon is maybe the greatest comic book character of all time. The greatest non-superhero superhero, superhero uh, character of all time, at least on film, in some ways. My point being, though, man, like, where's the investigations in Arrow, right? I mean, they right. just have Felicity talk for five minutes straight. He goes in, punches some guys. They have some cheery moments together, and that's it. Like, why not structure an entire episode around an actual detective investigation? You know, like, like NCIS, but better, you know, like for real forensics. I mean, Barry Allen did that stuff in the early days of the flash, but now they just play it for a joke, how quickly he can do his detective work. That's, that's what I would do if I was trying to expand out these shows a little bit more in terms of depth is like, okay, let's have some like middle shows that, that aren't super drama-y, but aren't super action-y either. There's sort of like a a tense suspense, or do you think they're just not equipped to, to do that sort of thing where Jimmy Olsen could be a major character, for example?
1: Yeah, I don't know exactly why Jimmy doesn't work on the show other than that it does feel always like they kind of forced him in. I mean, J- Jimmy Olsen is Superman's pal. Never in the comics had any real relationship of any sort, romantic, friendship, barely knows Supergirl in the comics. They, they've never talked to each other, basically. So that call, I, you know, I don't know why they couldn't just create a love interest because that's what Jimmy Olsen was in the first season and just have it be somebody just random ass person. Um, and then in season two, they broke up. They Supergirl realized she doesn't really love Jimmy. She just wants to be his friend. I'm fine with that. They didn't have great chemistry to begin with, but now you've got this guy left over and he's such a big name that unless you're going to pull a Zack Snyder and shoot him in the head, um, what do you do with him? So now they're making him a superhero. Uh, to your point about investigation, if there was a whole show about that, I could maybe be down with it. But Gotham tries to make a superhero show that's also a detective show, and it really is one of the biggest handicaps the show has because it, it, can't, it keeps going back and forth in a really inconsistent, annoying way that doesn't feel like a very good rendition of either. Doesn't feel like a good detective show or a good superhero show. Yeah,
0: no. I guess what I was saying was just having like a third path of uh, of, of narrative arcs. But we have all season to talk about this with the the, the CW shows, um, and so I kind of didn't want to do an intro and and work our way into it. So here we are. So three moments of the week from the shows that we've talked about, or maybe
1: one or two we haven't talked about. Yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, I think actually in a, in a lot of odd ways um my number 3 moment is from Gotham. I know we want to mostly talk about CW, but I do want to throw in um the only uh you know the other show that was on that is a DC show. Um this continued the story uh from last week of the re- the resurrection of Jerome Valeska. this sort of He's either a young man who will someday be the Joker or he's kind of a prototype character the Joker would pattern himself on. So last episode he was dead, but he had people who kind of worshipped him. This episode he comes back from the dead and he is just full out weird, crazy, goofy, fun. The way I would describe him is Picture Heath Ledger's The Joker, and there are a lot of callbacks and homages to Heath Ledger's portrayal of The Joker from The Dark Knight in Gotham. But then imagine it was directed by Joel Schumacher doing one of his screwball Batman and Robin, Batman Forever things. And you've got kind of what Jerome is. Whatever he is, original or not, he's fun as hell to watch. He really is funny and not exactly scary but so ridiculous in a good way that he's he's legit enjoyable and gotham desperately needs people who are actually enjoyable to watch on camera wait
0: doth my ears deceive me are you falling back in love with gotham what's going
1: on here i've never been in love with gotham i like this character yeah. I said, I, you know, yeah, yeah, no, I, no, no,
0: no, you do. Yeah. Yeah. And I was, my, my real point was going to be, you know, with a really good villain, you can make some stuff happen, at least for a few episodes yeah. for sure.
1: Now they only came on the air for three or four episodes. And then next week is their quote unquote winter finale. I don't know what that means. Their December break was. So after they conclude Jerome's plan for Gotham next week, I don't know if he's going to then disappear again. And if he does, the show is probably going to go back to being lousy because really nothing else happening on the show. Is at all interesting? Um, But at least this was fun for a couple of weeks. I mean, he
0: sounds more interesting than almost any of the arrow villains in five seasons. So pretty
1: much, um, you know, you know, my number two moment is probably from the flash, uh, which I thought was a very well done overall episode i don't know that there was a ton of memorable stuff for it but ben cavanaugh's fourth <laughs> version of harrison wells hr as he currently goes by yeah. is just so fucking crazy i, love, uh, it. I that, love it i mean again maybe like cameron monahan he's magnetic to watch because This HR is just so over the top, so spastic, so needy, uh, so goofy. You know, the weird nicknames he comes up with for everybody, he... The he's just <laughs> bad shit nuts man
0: he's great i mean as i said the crossover episode was the first time i saw him and i immediately liked him better than season two harrison wells right. i think they just write anything for him and he that's what he wants he, he he's like a professional improvisational comedian up there it's like you just throw a material and it just nails it every single time it's amazing it's amazing. He's doing a different level. I mean, that's the thing. Are they giving him the best material, or is he just that good?
1: I think he's he's pretty good. Um, I mean, he is definitely getting some fun uh stuff to say. I don't think he. I just I don't mean think, the
0: jokes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think he's the funniest character on the show, but. When he goes off, he just starts basically eating up the scenery, um, because well,
0: he, since they took uh, Ramon, who was a great character, and made him way less cool, I think Kevin may be the funniest person on the show now.
1: Maybe, although he Cisco was back to being much goofier this week than he was good. I did like him than pre than before the break. So yeah, the hologram, you know, like, he, the hologram was was pretty hilarious. <laughs> yeah, the hologram was funny, and you know, what did he say at the beginning? He's like. Remember, Wally, being a superhero is not about kicking ass. Well, actually, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it does involve a fair amount of ass kicking. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I hope we get kind of happy go lucky Cisco moving forward. I hope they're done with the mopey vibe thing. I, I'm probably not going to be right about right. that, but I I a guy can dream.
0: Yeah 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 I mean, you know, if I were writing it as things got more and more dangerous, he'd actually loosen up more more per, from a personal standpoint because he'd have to. that's how I would write it. I don't know if that's how they're going to do it. Um, you know, that's the difference between soldiers and people who aren't soldiers is is what happens when you get when you get into those moments um and it did have a lighter tone this week, but i, I they're definitely darkening the color palette, if nothing else. I mean, it looks totally different from season one flash. Um, from a palette standpoint, I don't know if that's something you you know uh, picked picked up on uh, or or thought was even the case. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, my my problem with the Flash is that you know Grant Gustin doesn't smile enough, and I'm not really sure why. I don't know why he can't be a little bit more likable and less mopey himself. He reminds me of Andrew Garfield, honestly, as Spider-Man. I mean, he's a little bit better in this role than Andrew Garfield was. The material's definitely better, but... He's way better. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think Andrew Garfield's a really good actor. It, actually, the first... But I only saw the first Amazing. I couldn't impair myself to watch the second one. I, I don't even like Spider-Man, but I thought he was a yeah, thousand I, times better than um, Tobey Maguire, personally. Yeah, then you're like the only person in the world who thinks that. Yeah, I know. I, um, the point being, the point being, you know, Grant's from Glee. He can sing. He can laugh. We've seen it happen. Now he's starting to get happy a little bit with Candace Patton, which is great. But, you know, I, I'm glad, as I was saying, with Matt, they didn't string that along too much. You know, like keep throwing other love interests in the way. They have to at least try it out. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, I, I think it's, it's good. I mean, where do you see it going? Because man, the problem for me is the time travel stuff because on paper, I love time travel stuff, but there's a reason the John Connor thing is, is so, uh, you know, addictive. If if you're a time travel sci-fi nut, it's not because all the Terminator properties are excellent. That is not the case. The reason is because they set it up, and so that he's like a super messiah, like Paul Atreides level messiah, messiah, right? And that's so that's half of the interest level is okay. We do need to prevent this time loop, or we do need to create this time loop. This is for personal reasons. He, they're going to spend this entire season trying not to kill the woman he loves, which is very noble. But I'm sure there's a lot of other crime going on, and it ignores the issue that there's no way that they can possibly, because of the Heisenberg uncertainty principle, you know, knowingly change events and put the dominoes, as Harrison Wells put it, in the way that they would want. It. You know, I mean, it's not even believable even within time travel stuff. Um, which I'm fine with if you get a character moments. So I'm curious whether you think the mechanics are, are set up for this to be sustainable for Flash.
1: I get the sense that this whole second half of this season is going to be about more about time travel and changing the future and whatever. That's fine. I hope that next season they, they do away with this time stuff because I think it's getting old and it's getting repetitive because legends of tomorrow is entirely about time travel and changing the past or changing the future or preventing time from changing. Um, and there are the flashes and arrow are the ones lecturing the legends about not changing shit. And then flash just goes changing shit all the time. Um, I I think what's ultimately going to happen is he is going to save, uh, Iris because I just, Iris is such an important character in the comics. I just don't see them, the show killing her unless they're going to do the, he runs into the future, at the end after she's dead where they've basically brought her back to life and he lives in the future until crisis on infinite earths, which is the series of events that set up crisis. So if that's where they're going, I could buy that. But my hunch is more, he is going to be able to save her, but there's some cost. Somebody else is going to die. I, uh, I keep thinking they might kill Joe because one, he's had less and less to do as this show, the season's gone on. And two, it would give he Iris a, a co-
0: mission. It would totally give Iris a new a new purpose in life, yeah. That makes sense. I never thought about that, yeah.
1: And he's a made up character. And so when you have made up not characters Not to me. To me, he's equal to all the other characters.
0: And okay, I like, but I like that actor.
1: All the fanboys, and this show very much <laughs> is trying to appease Flash fans. You're not the majority Flash though, comic fans. I don't
0: think. You don't think you I don't think you hit four million a week with with fanboys. I could be wrong.
1: No, probably not, but there are so many Easter eggs in every episode and references you know I, I think they are definitely trying to appeal to that group sure. as well, and I think if you have the choice between killing like one of the three most important people in the All of Flash mythology or the guy you made up basically for the show, you kill the guy you made up for the show.
0: Can I, can I make a, a huge sweeping generalization that you can easily sweep sweep away: Yes. I think part of the reason, just character wise, that you identify with sort of the Flash thing more than Arrow, even though you you know love Arrow and you like it a lot this season, the Flash is you know your your go-to when it's great. Is that Flash is all about the mythology. It's all about all of these interesting and bizarre villains and time travel scenarios. I mean, it's you know it's a really dense. Um, a uh, full, uh you know, lived in crazy story, you know, idea material uh for decades and decades. Whereas in Arrow they're more trying to capture a vibe about the green arrow than you know, I mean, I, I know there's a lot of Green Arrow stuff in the show that I don't even know about, but it's it seems to me that the Flash is saying we're really going to make use of this material. Where you know, with the flashbacks especially, are just character stuff to build the, the the mythology of
1: Oliver Queen. It's all about Oliver Queen and Arrow. I would probably actually agree with that to some extent. Green Arrow does not have the same really wide cast of characters. You know, there's no magic science like the speed force powering him. You know, half of this flash comics are about like the dynamics of how it would be physically possible to run it super so yes, yeah, there I is want definitely. More of that in uh, show. Why can't they give uh,
0: uh, more of us that in the show? I would love that. Sorry.
1: Right. I uh you know, there's there are whole comics where the running monologue is just flash facts where it's like, if I accelerate this fast, right. this quickly to this speed, I can make this like I go gaga over that kind of stuff. I fully admit it, and I think that's the reason why Arrow is pulling in a lot of characters from other mythologies. You know, all of the the Ra's al Ghul, League of Assassins stuff. That's all Batman. Ragman is a Batman character. Mister Terrific has no real, uh, you know, pre-existing relationship with Green Arrow in the comics. Now, obviously. Black Canary, yeah, she and Green Arrow are really tied together, but they killed her. Um So yeah, Green Arrow, there is a mystique they're building about Oliver Queen on the show, but they don't have that same really rich, you know, subsection of the DC universe to pull from the way they do with the Flash.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know it's playing it's playing to the uh the structure of the show as well. Um you know, again with the Flash, he's so powerful. Does he need such a huge team all the time? It's not totally clear, but just to, to make the show interesting and have great characters, you kind of, you got to do it. Um, Killing Joe is interesting. I hadn't considered that. They definitely need to, uh, I was going to say, they need to get more for Iris to do, but I remember saying this like two years ago when we first talked about they need to give Iris more to do. I will say though, man, and you kind of tiny teased it. I want to tease a little bit more. We are going to talk about all these great Great female characters in uh TV comic book properties, the obvious ones, Jessica Jones, we consider Orphan Black to be part of that. Um mm-hmm. and uh and Melissa Benoist as uh, as Car Denver as Supergirl. Um but uh I, I don't know if Arrow was gonna be a, a point of yours, so I just want to throw in that I think Felicity, Smoke, and Thea Queen are also two excellent, excellent female characters for completely different reasons um that are complicated and that are changing but man one note i made to myself about arrow is that it doesn't matter when they pull felicity back into the background a little bit or push her big time forward like the last season or two or thea you know Mm -hmm. her roles always change those two always nail the material even when the the arcs don't completely make sense or it's not always the best writing um and when they do get great writing they they hit it out of the ballpark i mean um when you know when they're making stuff sound like it's coming from felicity she can deliver it really really well and thea manages to never be annoying even though her character seems to be verging on it at times but like she's i don't know it i don't i don't know if it's Willa holland or thea queen or both but she's got this like zen thing going right i mean she's way more zen than her brother she can get in when she wants she can get out when she wants she's she's mm-hmm. running the family business on you know in every in every way that's that's relevant um so i'll throw it to you about arrow man, cause, uh like, w- w- how do you feel about those characters in particular, um, and their development over the last couple seasons? It seems that we're going to definitely talk more about female, you know, genre superhero stuff going forward.
1: Well, one thing I like about Thea is that her character and Felicity, they bring a lot of the humor to the show that works. Now, they have also tried to make Mister Terrific, uh, played by Echo Kellum, a funny character, but his his comedy falls <sighs> oddly flat. Thea's sense of humor is actually very, very similar to Ragman's or, uh, or Rory Reagan's character, this sort of detached sarcasm. Now, with Rory, there's also this sort of nonplussed attitude of this world that I have sort of been dragged into is just completely ridiculous. Thea's, it's more I've been in this uni- this ridiculous world for so long that all I can do is laugh at it at this point. Um you know there's a there one of the late season episode ep- season episodes in season 4 after the glades finally sinks because of Damian Dark's blah 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 whatever she says something like wow property values in the glades just went really high and everybody looks at her horrified and she just goes what it's gallows humor um and I I love that moment um you know this past episode which was absent, Thea Queen, which is a little bit odd, and I'm always <sighs> concerned. I don't when, like that. I'm paying for yeah. these cable bills. I want Willa Holland. Give it right. to me. But I thought it had some really great moments from it Emily Bett Rickards. You know when she awesome. This was a great Elicity episode. Yeah, she chews Oliver out, and it's not like Marina Backron on Gotham being shrewish. It is her. Dressing Eric Ollie down for being a fucking idiot about wanting to deal with this psychopathic doppelganger of Laurel Lance, who I'm so glad is not actually back from the dead because that would have just read it. it adds up. This this plot line adds up in terms of how Oliver's acting and
0: Felicity's acting. That's what I'm always saying. If you make it logical within the characters, they nail it. I thought those two nailed right. it this week. And I- I'm not even mad that Laurel's back because it's causing great elicity
1: moments. Right. And I I can understand the idea of I failed one, I have to try to redeem the other. Okay, that works with Oliver's, you know, I take the weight of everybody's problems onto me. It's all my fault. Um, You want to know why Grant Gustin's character has been so mopey? It's because he starts, he's doing the same thing. And I wish he'd get away from that a little bit because we already have the mopey loner hero. It's Oliver. But but it's
0: interesting because they went into it being like you're the Mopey loner hero, uh, but you're not going to be exactly like Bruce Wayne. They find right. ways for him to smile. I mean, I think Oliver smiles more than than, than Barry Allen in, in some weeks, you know, which you would never expect. Lately, yeah, yeah. I just like my main characters to smile, unless it's Jessica Jones. But there was a plot reason why you never wanted Jessica Jones to smile.
1: Right. I mean. <laughs> I mean. Smile. It would spoil the final scene for sure. Um, You know, I also think one thing that is really, really explicitly clear about Batman is Bruce Wayne is a made-up person. Bruce Wayne as an adult is a character he has for the increasingly hard-to-believe reason that people would suspect Bruce Wayne is Batman if Bruce Wayne didn't have a public profile. That doesn't make a lot of sense anymore, but I could understand why you would adopt that idea in like the 30s or something. Yeah.
0: I just want to piggyback that, Matt, because it's brilliant. Because I think it was like, what, it was the second or third Arrow uh, Arrow episode ever where he realized that he needed to portray himself as, as the, you know, drunk, rich kid to get everyone off his back
1: yes where he, he arranges to get arrested yeah that's really early in the show no
0: that one. he comes to the speech and he's slurring like pretending like he's drunk you know and they're trying to give him the company and he tells him all to fuck off and you know he's acting drunker than <laughs> you know he is it's similar to what you know bruce wayne does uh at times but you know what sure. arrows managed to do was by killing the parents and getting rid of the company it actually unencumbers both the, the, the character on and off screen if that makes sense
1: Yeah, no, I agree. What we've seen over the last three seasons since season one is the real Oliver slowly starting to come out. And considering season four, he talks a lot in flashback about how he doesn't feel like a person anymore. He feels like a a thing or a monster. And then the reality of kind of where he is now is that he has regained a lot of his humanity and genuineness. Uh, is an interesting contrast, and it, I think it actually is one thing that works about these this year 's flashbacks is the idea of not just the plot of the you know him on the island, which was never great, but the idea of the mental toll of all of this shit he has to do on the island and how it makes him feel about himself versus the person he turns himself into when he gets back to star City is a really interesting contrast. All right, so I've talked a lot this episode because I,
0: I, for the first time, I'm caught up on almost all the CW <laughs> stuff, and you know I'm excited about that, and I love engaging you with it. And, I, you know... All, all of my criticisms about these shows come out of a place of love, you know. I just always want the shows I like to be continued to be written better, you know. You, you know, even those shows I love, like Battlestar, like they had writing problems later on. That I'm, I would openly criticize. You know, it's very hard to maintain shows past two, three, four seasons, depending on the show. I can't believe Arrow's going to season six. I mean, just historically, in thinking that that was in 2012 when the Avengers came out, that that started, and that's going to be six seasons. Um, so I'm going to make one final comment about the CW stuff and i'll be able to arrow and then um I'll, I'll, I'll let you take us out with um uh did we get your final moment before the before the terrible no good very bad moment
1: oh so my number one i, I mean when alex danvers goes to maldoria or wherever the hell the, the dumb name of the planet is that episode by the way was written by kevin smith and it was called oh, supergirl lives really um oh, yeah awesome. which is yeah. a joke on superman lives a superman script he wrote that would have starred Nicholas Cage that never got made. It was it's kind of like Dude. a boogeyman story in movies. Um and the girl that Supergirl rescues is Harley. That's actually his daughter's name, is Harley Quinn. Um so By the way, there's someone in the show whose name is like Harley Quinn Thompson
0: or something like that.
1: That if that might have been the same character. Uh oh, that very- might have been that that actress oh. uh, as like a guest star on the show. Uh but when Alex and the rest of our of um the DEO come to rescue them. She's got to take down this alien and she just whips Alex does whips this alien's ass, disarms him, puts her him in one of those spinning leg chokehold things that black that uh black widow does all the time. Knocks her, him down, incapacitates him for a second, rolls away, gets the gun, comes back up one shot not kills this dude. I mean, this is like straight, badass kick ass woman soldier fighting stuff and yeah. i i really 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 enjoyed
0: watching it. I mean, this is a complete compliment, but it, it felt like some combination of of Kobe Smulders and Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow. Uh her her physical performance, which was great. I had no idea that was part of the show. I mean, mm-hmm. she she totally owns it. She reminds me of lila a little bit from Arrow, but yes, she's she's sure. younger. Um, you know, so I I think you know, lila has some really interesting stuff cuz she's sort of more of a middle-aged actress, if you can believe it. Um, but uh but 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 Alec, uh, who, I'm sorry again. Who plays who plays Alex? What's Tyler Lee? Tyler Lee, right? Yeah, is uh, is really good. Are they similar
1: in age in real life? I've never looked this up. But... No, Tyler Lee is a, a fair amount older. Actually, I believe she uh, is. I'll look it up right now. I think she's in her mid. Yeah, she's 34. Uh, Melissa Benoist is much younger. I think she's 25 or something like that. Um, You know, one thing the show does really well is it sells you on the idea... Yeah, Melissa Benoist is 28, so six years difference. But they are able to get around that by the idea that because Alex's career is as a soldier, it's kind of aged her, you know, that it's mentally forced her to mature at a much faster rate than Kara has. No, couldn't Kara potentially be like 3,000 years old too? I mean, like... Well, yeah, there is the question of it's never exactly clear how long ago she's like an elf
0: she's gonna age a lot slower like she's gonna look like that for like a thousand years probably probably i mean i don't know i don't know the mythos though but it totally works as the older older sister younger sister thing which is exactly how they should have structured it they nailed it um what do you think of the uh has has the um has alex's relationship been from the beginning kind of consistently like they wrote that in as something they wanted to do early on would be one superhero question and the other, and then we'll wrap, is
1: um about Chris Wood. I'm not really sure who he his character is. So what they have said, the film the showrunners have said, is that they had definitely thought about introducing the idea of Alex being gay in season one, and they I think the way they described it is they just didn't feel like they had the real estate for it or, or like they didn't they just thought there was too much up they had to do in season one so they couldn't they just they couldn't get to it and a- alex doesn't have a whole lot of arc you know she doesn't grow a lot as a character in season one whereas supergirl grows considerably as a person over those 18 20 episodes so anyway um season two they've much they've given Chyler lee and alex the character a ton more um space to work with. uh, And her character, she's been my MVP this year. I mean, even in a way Benoist has, or Supergirl has not been, Alex is my favorite character this Hmm. year. And they've really put a lot of effort into developing her character. They've given her the meatiest emotional stuff to deal with. Now, I'm not sure you can give the person who is getting the shit kicked out of her every episode, as Supergirl does, also all the emotional weight to take on, and, ha- and not have the character completely collapse. So I, I can understand the idea of Supergirl goes through all the physical stuff and Alex goes through all of the sort of the mental character stuff. But, um, you know, I like the way they have split up what each character does and they're they both grow, but in different ways. So, I yeah, well, it does it, it did feel because, like Alex has the primary relationship,
0: like we were seeing it through her eyes almost, which i I think is smart i i, I don 't think they should run from that instinct what you 're describing i think I think that's that's smart
1: no I, I think you know as long as the scripts are there and the content, you know, and so as long as the show has the goods and they deal with it with kind of the heart and the earnestness that they 've dealt with basically everything since the beginning. I think they should continue to explore this stuff of putting Alex not through a ringer, but of challenging her character emotionally in a way that they maybe don't want to challenge Supergirl as a character emotionally. And that's okay because Supergirl's got all of these other things that she's got to deal with. You know, I like division of labor. Um, and it, yeah. it suggests that each one then has something to teach the other. You know, When they're not doing the exact same thing or growing in the exact same way – I find that more fascinating. Yeah, I mean
0: that's you know uh, sort of uh, to to bring it full circle, Um, and then we'll close up here. Is that's what i'm saying about when you add characters like curtis and arrow or wally and flash like i get why they do it but why not just double down on a character you already have and make them more interesting we don't need a thousand characters you know i like that supergirl sort of gets it and that's why i said yeah i don't think they need jimmy olsen or like the team um a whole lot um so just my final question and then you can close on this is what 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 is the l connection are they cousins like it was, it was, <laughs> was that her cousin that was working at the bar and then super fighting
1: with them on the alien planet okay so get ready for a little Uh-oh. bit of confusing comics continuity oh boy. okay up. here we go chris wood's character is named mon E L. in the comics daxum is not a planet that is the sister planet of krypton it's a whole other planet Whole other place. It's a red sun planet, so yeah. When they are under yellow sun, they get superpowers, except they're vulnerable to a set of kryptonite. Um, but what happens is a guy named Largan, a Daxamite, crash lands on Earth, and he thinks he's Kryptonian, so he gets Mo- the nickname Monel after meeting everybody else, or maybe he even. Crash lands on Krypton and gets named that. Um, Largan Monel is a character. Basically, the way the story goes in the comics is he crashes in the 20th century. He befriends Superboy for a while. He gets poisoned by lead, so they shove him in the Phantom Zone for a thousand years. And then in the future, the Legion of Superheroes, of which Superboy and Supergirl sometimes is a member. They get him out of the fandom zone. They cure him, and he becomes a superhero known as Valor. Um, in the nineties, they rewrote the name Monel as M apostrophe O N E L, which is supposed to be Martian, like John Jones. It's Monel, and it means the wandering one or something like that. Um, so they're changing up who you could say it was related to Mana
0: as well, I and mean, that would be the the Mana of God, though. I just don't know who's coming
1: up with these names. I don't know if it's the new people or the originals that are coming up with these names. No, this was always his original name. Okay, so the way the story worked is...
0: um, (laughs) I mean, mean mean is a common word in Hebrew that means a a billion things.
1: Right. So here's the thing. The reason he's called Monel, and this is funny, and I'm taking this from Wikipedia, and I think it's true. He crashes on Earth. Superboy meets him. He doesn't know his own name. So Superboy gives him the name L because he landed on Earth on a Monday. <laughs> so Mon became oh, Monday man. and oh. L because Superboy's own family is, you know, the L family, Kal-L, Lara, Kara Zor-L, etc. Um Oh man. <laughs> so yeah, there's no real significance to why he's called that. Um the fact that uh Kara hasn't wondered why this guy has the same family house name as her own. is a little odd, actually, that she hasn't that the name hasn't given her more pause to think about who this guy might be. Um, in the in the show, he is depicted as the bodyguard of the the Daxam royal family. And then, when Daxam is destroyed, when basically the when Krypton explodes, all of the radioactive shards first hit. Daxum, because it's like only you know it's one planet away in the solar system so Daxum gets roasted they all die too the story he tells is that the prince opted to save his bodyguard sent him to earth but in this past episode that dominator seems to bow before him and there's at least one reviewer i've read online that seems to think maybe he is actually the prince of Daxum, that he wasn't the bodyguard but he's actually royalty now what that means who knows but you know it seems like his story is going to become increasingly more important in the coming two months three months so i have a question
0: um because that was a really disappointing
1: mythological explanation it's not your fault <laughs>
0: i was just hoping for more
1: yeah sorry his name is because he landed and, on a uh, Monday. but but
0: we, we at least uh we will revisit the jewishness and comic book stuff uh, later for sure we've a long cw season don't need to talk about it all now um, I I guess I will say that I thought the I think the red sun thing, which I did know uh, know in the back of my mind, but I was you know I'm kind of a, a, an astronomy nerd, and I was like, oh, it's interesting that it's red suns because red suns are actually small and have very little mass or luminosity or gravity. Right. So for those to be the ones that weaken her, I thought was really interesting.
1: Yeah, it's I, I have no idea if the science actually bears this out. I doubt it, but yeah, the story has always been that. The yellow sun, because it's bigger and hotter uh, than the red sun that Rao, which Krypton orbited, because his biology is naturally attuned to a red sun, when he gets exposed to yellow sun energy, he just soaks it up and it gives him strength, heat vision, x-ray vision, flight, all, all of his powers come from the yellow sun. So. They wind up on a red sun and they lose their powers.
0: And that has something to do with the the, lumino- the type of luminosity and or the radiation. I th- I think that the radiation is the idea because they do knows? give off very different different kinds of radiation. But man, they they made that planet look really good. I mean that like like uh, the the um, sure. Stargate universe was, was excellent doing alien planets on a limited sci fi budget. Um, and again, they did what they needed to do in terms of you know making it just look super red to to take you out into it, um, cool man. Uh, so we sort of got on a lot of tangents. It was great to, to catch up about the CW shows. Um, I don't even know where we are in the list, so I'll just let you close out with, with whatever you want.
1: No, I, I think we've pretty much covered it. Um, I, I'm trying to think of what my lousy moment will be. Uh, this is a longer conversation to be had, but I am starting to feel like the. Ragman as a character, the joke with him is that he's Jewish, and I find that actually a little bit troubling. I don't think the show is doing it directly, but this was another episode where Rory Reagan says something, and it's meant to be funny, but the only thing that's funny about what he says is that he injects a Yiddish word into his speech. And so, haha, Yiddish, it's funny. That's starting to feel more and more concerning to me. Interesting.
0: Have you considered that only Jewish people get it and so it is actually funny and not offensive?
1: And sure, I guess. I mean, yeah, very few people are going to know what a dibbick is that isn't that aren't Jews. Well, there's but, this
0: is, this is always the issue, right? Because you can either A not have Jewish characters You can be have Jewish characters and have them be super Jewish either in looks like they're Orthodox or something or, you know, act in like super stereotypical ways or they can be sort of secular Jews and throw in Jewish jokes like Woody Allen style. I think that's what they're going for. I'm not saying it's working. I haven't been offended by any of it personally, but I don't watch it maybe as, as closely as you are. So I will monitor this for the future. The joke he made two episodes ago was just about the menorah burning down the house if it was too close to the tree, which I actually thought was funny. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, I mean, we have two Jews in the show and they're two of the cooler characters. I- I'll take it.
1: They are, but Felicity doesn't make a Jewish joke every episode. No,
0: just, a, just at Christmas time and maybe once other time. Yeah, so... Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with
1: you. i know, I love Ragman. Ragman was the subject of my honors thesis in college. I'm I'm serious about that. I don't know how they came up with putting him of all people in Arrow, but I love that he's there. I am starting to get a little bit concerned by the how frequently they go back to his being a Jew as a source of humor for his character. You know, when he's just sardonic and sarcastic and kind of off-put by how weird this world that he's found himself in is, I think he's hilarious. And he has a lot of jokes like that in this past episode. It's just when he's, you know, call somebody a schmuck, or they're like, what are we drinking? Uh, family plum schnapps or something like It's It's those moments and his bad Hebrew pronunciation, he seriously needs a better tutor, uh, that are starting to just get on my nerves a little bit. They're starting to worry me. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, yeah, uh, I guess it's kind
0: of endearing that he has bad pronunciation, you know, because then it'd be like, oh, all Jews pronounce Hebrew correctly, which, if you know, Jews is like one tenth of one percent who can pronounce Hebrew correctly. And this is coming from someone who point. can only because I went to Jewish Day School for nine years, and then lived in Israel. But it, it's you know, it, it's an endearing quality. We'll keep monitoring it. He's a good character overall, I think. Yes. Uh, we'll we'll save the team for another time. Um, and so, uh, I'm just going to give my my real quick uh, shout out, and then uh, you you can you can wrap this up with with anything about the week. You can also talk about what we didn't talk about, and then or you can talk about what you're looking forward to in the next week or two. So, Mike, just real quick thought is that um, I finally, after <laughs> a long time, forced myself to to binge watch uh, Star Wars Rebels an animated show on Disney, which is on the surface exactly what you think it would be. Um, but as I was saying earlier, Matt, this is the perfect example of a way. To to do one big uh, you know s- essentially team up movie a year that being the Star Wars movie and use th- forms like rebels and books to communicate the longer stories the way CW is doing it on television i mean you know rebels it, it, it really is is like if we take the prequels the original movies the new movies uh, the books, the video games, the uh, the other uh, you know uh, extended universe stuff. You got all that put it together, and then you added Firefly. I mean, it's very Firefly. It's like a cartoon Star Wars Firefly essentially. I mean, the the Firefly mm-hmm. crew. Um, and you bring in you know it looks like a video game, but but it's like it's like one of those games that you love watching more than playing because it's so well animated. They're like I don't even want to play. I just want to watch it. You know. So they, they use kind of a Mass Effect feel to it, but there's also, there's also an anime feel where it's like very. Slow and then very fast animation. As you know, I'm not someone who loves like Pixar stuff. That stuff tends to be too fast moving for me, uh, and just you know, I-, I don't find the animation style um that great. Um, but Rebels really is going for a realistic look overall, which which I didn't expect in a Disney cartoon. It's definitely dark. I mean, let's put it this way: the darkest uh, episodes of of Rebels are up there with the Flash and Supergirl for sure. And this is part of me breaking down my, you know, previously held uh, ideas of like, you know, how TV shows should be rated or just how we should categorize them or whatever. But it never talks down to the audience. It has an easier job in some ways because only has twenty two minutes to fill, so you can get as much action in and you and you cut the drama very smallly. But they still build the, these excellent characters, and so um, it's, it's it feels like a similar experience to me as watching the CW shows. It does in in a good way. As I said to Matt, if, if you don't love star wars watch the millions of other great things on netflix and elsewhere uh instead but if you do love star wars it's good for a lot of reasons that's not just because it's star wars it's great voice acting excellent animation you got the music you got lots of nerdy stuff about like you know ships and planets and aliens and stuff like that um, and uh, and to, to tie it all the way back to the beginning i 'm throwing it to you to to close out is you know it has that that feeling of like the what it seemed the Batman lego movie or the or the show at nbc it 's very self referential it makes jo- it makes inward open jokes about the the the, tr- the original trilogy, the prequels, you know, they make fun of lines that, you know, look bad lines that like Luke and Anakin said and stuff like that openly in the show. Um, you know, it's it, this is and I think this goes back to my when you have nothing else, make it funny and don't take yourself too seriously. And I think if you do that, you surround yourself with talented people and I think uh, CW has done it uh for the most part. So, all right, man. So so take us into the future here. What are we what are we looking at the next couple weeks? What are you excited about?
1: Yeah, I mean, the only thing that's really coming out next week that you know we'll probably be talking about at least a little bit come the next episode is season two debut of the Expanse on uh, to on Wednesday on February first. I I think both of us are kind of throwing our hands up a little bit on this of maybe this will be good, maybe it'll suck, maybe it'll be good for sci-fi, which would really make it a pretty mediocre show on any mainstream channel uh but it's kind of you know this is a big deal for this channel and it's probably the best thing this channel has so if this sinks i think that's not a good sign for sci-fi channel moving forward i i don't know if it's going to have long-term ramifications or not but i do find it I, if it turns out to be bad, I think it's really not going to suggest sci fi is ever really going to be able to yeah. compete with other channels in terms of really quality science fiction storytelling. What, you know, uh, what Orphan Black achieves on BBC America or Doctor Who on BBC America or even Westworld, which ultimately I didn't like, but I think was a more successful first season by most respects than The Expanse. I'll say. Although I'm going to watch the Expanse season two, and I'm probably not going to watch Westworld season two, so the hell do I know? The 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 crew on the Ghost, which
0: is the show, uh, the ship on Rebels, is ten times more compelling than the crew on the ship of the Expanse, and I've seen three episodes, and I can tell that.
1: And the you crew on it for rogue me. one are more compelling than the people on I the expanse know. matt and watch spoiler, it but spoiler they're watch all g- they're, we're not going to be seeing them again so i'd rather watch them after the death star attack than watch the expanse
0: look i i i, I i'm not gonna, never going to force you to watch movies or tell you that they're good but i don't want to hear a lot of rogue one shit talk on this this I wasn't show
1: talking i was complimenting it okay that does that sound like a back that kind of times- compliment to me no, it was making a joke about how that, that movie ends, which yeah. I won't spoil. <laughs> everyone dies. Even, Oops. Okay, everyone <laughs> dies, and I'd still rather watch them all dead than the expanse okay. people.
0: <laughs> yeah, I tell you, just you could just you can just tell a lack of charisma. You really can. Um, and the problem is with expenses. they don't have the Eddie Almost Mary McDonald character. They don't have the guy that Louis Ferreira plays as the Colonel on Stargate Universe, the head of the military. It's got a seasoned older, super charismatic actor that you could rally all the other younger actors around. Um, exactly why separate them from thomas jane that should be one story you know this is the game of thrones thing though and that's why adapting books i'm not saying american gods isn't gonna be good but we need to like whenever there's a book adaptation especially for television i am highly
1: highly skeptical yeah Um, especially american gods is really intricate and weird and it's they could adapt it successfully but they could also completely collapse under the sheer size of that particular universe absolutely all right
0: buddy well definitely
1: some great television this week we didn't even mention taboo um nope i'm gonna and they have a homeless guy digging out a guy's tooth out of his dead body (laughs) with a knife so you know there was some cool stuff in taboo too yeah.
0: so just so just a uh,
1: quick listener
0: so if you're hearing it and, the, and it's coming on it's not a Monday it's a one- time thing I'm going to re-release it on Monday as, as, as if it were a new release but you know we're all watching the same CW shows we might as well talk about it you know if we're going to be competing against other CW podcasts we better release tomorrow um, and so that's what we're going to do but we'll be back on Mondays starting next week and um, I, I definitely will be talking about Vikings uh, in in the next new episode episode three because that will be the season finale um and it looks like it's gonna be a good one so thanks again manny this was great whenever we talk cw we go on for hours what are you gonna do
1: i uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well <laughs> we'll figure out how to rein this in as the show goes on ladies and gentlemen i promise yeah uh, well it's tough because oh. we're
0: doing season premieres i mean the season premiere yeah. episodes are always going to be the to longest. talk
1: about you yeah. know yeah.
0: yeah so yeah so thanks for sticking with us bizzlecast listeners and you streamers out there and we are out